This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian, as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexualist content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. So, Lexi, thank you for coming. Um, I really appreciate you coming for a lot of reasons, but a couple of them I'll tell you out front. I admire the shit out of you. I think you got some serious, like, good stuff in you. Uh, and so, yeah, I am, like, stoked to learn more about you. So, thank you. welcome. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Tell us your story. Um, and you can start, stop. You can tell it in five different directions. Like you're yeah. dealing with some people who have broken brains, so we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like I'll just start like how I was like as a child. Um, I came from like a, a great family. Mm-hmm. I always had like really good opportunities as a child. I was a really smart kid. Um uh, with three other siblings, so I always had other kids to play with and a loving family. Um, brothers, sisters? Yeah, I have two two brothers. I have an older brother uh, and a younger brother and an older sister. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I moved around a little bit as a child. My, like, my journey with, like, struggling with, like, myself and my brain started when I was 12 in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I, I just kind of started feeling like I, I didn't, like, fit in because um, it was hard for me to make friends, like, moving around. I moved a couple times before I went to Australia, um, but it was kind of difficult. It wasn't, like, moving cities within the province. It was, like, a different country. And, yeah. um, and it yeah, I just started to feel like people like didn't like me or I had to like really try really hard to like make friends and talk to people. And so I, I started self-harming when I was 12. Um, I don't know. I just it just seemed like like the first time I did it, I was like, I don't feel good. I want to feel something else. And I I I remember I hurt myself for the first time. I was like, wow. You know, I, I, for a moment there, I just didn't really care about any of all my other problems and, and it became a way for me to, to deal with my problems. And I, shortly after I was, uh, diagnosed with depression at 12 years old and I, that's where I really started feeling like I was different Mm -hmm. and I didn't belong and, you know, something was wrong with me. Um, and then about a year after that is when I started to, I had my first joint because I wanted to fit in, right? It seemed like the perfect thing to do. Um, and before that, I was always like, you know, you guys, drugs and alcohol are really bad. Like, you don't want to end up 
like a loser. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like the thought process going through my head. Me and my friends were just hanging out in the bush, you know, um, in Australia. And they're like, I have a joint. Do you want to smoke it? And I was like, no, that's, you know, drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. And they all left. And I was like, I, I want to fit in. You know, I, I felt like I was being left out again. I felt like I was different again. So I just thought, you know, nobody's ever going to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get high, but I threw up. <laughs> so it started off great. Yeah. Um, well, you, I can't blame you for trying it again after that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, and then I, I moved to Canada not too long after that. I moved back here. Mm-hmm. And I started in grade 10 at uh, uh, high school, and I found some of my friends that I used to do ballet with when I was really, really young when I lived in Canada. And I was like, oh, like these people kind of know me, but their brains were so fried. They don't remember any of that. They don't remember me as a child. Really? eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That must have been surreal. Yeah. I was kind of like, wow, they're Mm. they have a problem. And then, uh, and then I would go to their house every day after school. Well, not every day in the beginning, yeah. you know, once a week to go, you know, smoke weed. And, and they lived across the street from me. So later on, that became like my haven mm-hmm. to use was, you know, their, their mom didn't, didn't really care that much, like what we were yeah. doing. And it was a place where I could use and, and then just walk home at the end of the night because I had to be home every night. Um, yeah. Um, when I started, like, just, like, smoking weed once a week, it, you know, it, it was, like, kind of nice because instead of, like, self-harming, I would just do that every once in a while. And then my, you know, my um, instant gratification, like, what I chose for that shifted. And so mm-hmm. I was like, this is a really good thing for me. You know, I I feel like I have friends. Like, I don't need to, you know, self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I just, you know, it became, you know, use more than once a week. And, and of course I wasn't paying for any of this because it was friends that would just, you know, offer me to get high at their house every once in a while. And, and it just became more and more frequent. Um, but again, I was just justifying it in that, you know, this is helping my mental health. Um, and it's a good thing. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody really knows. I remember one time I asked my older brother, I was like, come smoke weed with me at at their house. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what the heck? No. And I was like, Oh, I'm never going to talk to any of my siblings about this again Mm -hmm. because they don't approve. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting though, is that going from self-harm into chemicals, it does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like it's very logical, right? Yeah. 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 Cause it seemed for me like the best thing to do for like yeah. my physical well-being yeah. um and but it it just became that i you know after a couple months that i had to be high all the time and mm-hmm. and when i didn't have drugs or or alcohol i would go back to to hurting myself because i just became so used to that altered sense of reality all the time that mm-hmm. when i wasn't hi I, I couldn't handle it and and especially like with my parents finding out and like you know I knew that they didn't approve um it just added to 
to a lot of shame and feeling like the failure of the family. Like once, once again, you know, like I was the kid with the mental health problems and now I'm the kid that uses drugs. Um, and so it was, it was really tough for me. And there was, um, a couple trips to the psych ward where, you know, when I was on the psych ward, I, I didn't want to be like completely honest with, Mm -hmm. you know, that I was drinking and and smoking pot but even even then i like would like dull it way down and they're like yeah "Yeah, you still you use a lot more than the average canadian teen and you might have a problem i was like oh i'm lying (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm Um, minimizing it yeah have a problem yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um but even then i was like well they don't they don't understand Mm. you know it was always the if you if you felt how I felt, if you knew what I was going through, you would do the exact same thing as me because at the point in my life that I was at, there was no other way out than to numb everything that I was going through. Um, and I, like, I still, I still had a job. I was, you know, top class and, or top student in some of my classes. And I, I felt like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm doing well. I have a job. I have school. But at, at the same time, I knew that I had to have a job and I had to be doing well in school because if I wasn't, there would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't really think about it like that. It was kind of like, you know, I have a job so I can pay for my drugs and, and I go to school because it's what I have to do and I'll just go mm-hmm. really, really stoned. <laughs> Um, and I thought it was like the, the coolest like thing ever. Like my whole persona was that, you know, I do drugs and I'm cool. Nobody really knows me, but that's okay. And I'm going to make jokes in class about dying that make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a good thing we weren't in the same classes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, two people doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think like, for the most part, I felt like I had it under control until I started experimenting with a prescription drug called Adderall, mm. which is like it's it's a methamphetamine, um, so a little bit destructive, you know, especially when you're not prescribed it. Um, but I remember the first time trying that, my friend introduced me to it, and she's like, "It's like really good. You get so much schoolwork done. Like you're so focused." And I just the first time I took that, I was like, I'm the most important person in the room and I'm so smart and my art is so great and I'm so productive. And I just like that, that for me was like, I'm going to be doing drugs for the rest of my life if this is the way that they allowed me to feel. Yeah. And, um, and I never, I never really thought that like it was like a drug either because, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was a prescription pill prescribed to somebody, you know, given to them by a doctor, <laughs> you know, like it was like regulated in it a originally sense. originally came from a doctor. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to look at myself as like a drug user or like, a, you know. It's a methamphetamine, but, you know, it's a prescribed – it's a government-regulated methamphetamine, so it's okay. Um, (laughs) And um, I just – that was the 
drug that I really fell in love with um, just for that feeling of like euphoria. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would start doing it like every day of the week when I was at school because I wanted to feel important. I wanted to feel smart. I wanted to get everything done. I, you know, I, I didn't come home with all this homework and feel overwhelmed. I just got it all done at school and people asked me for help when they couldn't understand something. And I just felt like I had all the confidence in the world. Mm -hmm. So I, I started doing it like every day. And, and I remember the first time I really overdid it, um, was I, me and and this other girl that I went to school with, I was like, do you want to try this? It's the most fun I've ever had. And so she's like, oh, yeah, of course. So I just kept on getting my my drug dealer to come back, you know, to my school. And I was like, I need more, I need more, I need more. Um, and I, I ended up overdosing that day in front of my sister. Um, and I was like projectile vomiting, just stomach acid because I couldn't eat. Um, and I, I remember her being really, really worried about me. And I was like, no, I, I had some bad water. <laughs> that water we got from Tim Hortons was bad. You tasted it. It tasted really bad. Um, and, um, and I remember going into like the bathroom, I, you know, and I, my arms and legs were numb mm. and I was sweaty and I had to go to the bathroom, but I, I couldn't go to the bathroom. And I, I was sitting there and I was like, I can't tell anybody about this because I think I have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anybody to know I have a problem because I don't think I can stop doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I remember just sitting there and thinking, you know, am I going to die? Do I need to go to the hospital? Mm-hmm. And just hoping that everything was going to be okay because I, at that point, I, I didn't have the option of telling somebody, I think I need help. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you? I... I was probably about 15. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I don't I can't imagine you saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um so after, you know, after that I toned it down a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, just at half that amount. Um but I and I was very like manipulative. There is a boy that I went to school with that I knew had a prescription for Adderall, and so I, you know, we were kind of friends and then he became my best friend. And I remember being like, you know, I, I go to these parties and, you know, people want to do it with me and keep in mind, I never was invited to a party throughout my entire high school career because (laughs) I think people were like afraid of inviting me Mm -hmm. because they didn't want me to like get like messed up and then be like, I hate myself. I need to kill myself. Mm. And you know, like it's, it's never fun when people do that. Um, but I, I convinced him, you know, to start giving me these pills. But I would tell him, yeah, there's about eight people. I need enough for like eight people. And then I would do it on myself within the span of two days. Um, but it saved me a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know. So always thinking outside the box. You become economists, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I felt very resourceful. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. <laughs> um, and then I uh, would start, like, mixing it. Like, someone told me, like, oh, it's kind of like LSD if you smoke pot and do Adderall. But really, you just get, like, you're, like, hyper aware 
from the amphetamines and mm-hmm. then you just get super stoned. So it's like just confusing, but it's a great time. Mm-hmm. I uh, I went to one of my final math exams. I took a whole bunch of Adderall and I was like, you know what? I'm so anxious. I should really calm myself down. So I, on my way to the train station, I smoked weed in a porter potty, you know, because that was a cool thing yeah. to do. Um, There's nothing like hanging out in porta potties doing shit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just disgusting. But it was pink, so it was kind of cute. It was oh. a pink porta potty. So <laughs> it's kind of cute though. Yeah. <laughs> Why would they make a pink porta potty? Uh, yeah. So, so they know where to go. <laughs> Fuck. We we don't treat women very well. Do <laughs> like we don't treat them very well at all. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I can see why girls might not want to use the mix. The regular. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I went, I went to my, uh, final math exam and I sat for half an hour and I didn't fill out my name. And then a teacher came up to me. They're like, are you okay? I was like, oh, yes. And then I finished and left and I was like, that went really well. And I think I got like above a 90 on that. So it did go really well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, yeah. And I, uh, for, for the most part, like I, felt like I had like a really great time using drugs and and especially like at school like that was the best place for me to use them my mom would drop me off early at school and she would pick me up because she didn't want me going out and using drugs but I would buy my drugs and use my drugs at school and and I had the dumpster out in the alley that was you know my dumpster that I would smoke weed in front of every day and you know it'd be half an hour before school starts and I'd see my friend and be like, hey, do you want to smoke some pot with me? And some of them who I thought they were really big potheads were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, wow, they're rude, you know? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong? Why are you hanging out by a dumpster? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was cool. It was like kind of grunge. Um, Very grunge. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I also, I experimented without you know experimented with alcohol Mm. it wasn't really my drug of choice but um you know because it was harder to get because i was underage so but when we we did you know i would drink as much as i could and there was a couple times where i got you know too drunk at school and um and one time i i i drank way too much at school because someone in my art class is like, oh, hey, have some of this. It's alcohol. Have some of this. It's Chase. But they were both filled with vodka. Mm. Um, and so I I remember, like, I was sitting on my chair in art and I was like, I'm so drunk and, like, locked eyes with the teacher. But, she, like, she didn't do anything. And um, Fucking art teachers, man. Yeah. They didn't. I would vape in that class all the it's time. I was helpful. like, oh, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Art teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was like that too in high yeah. school. That was the one class where I could do anything I wanted. Yeah. Um, but I ended up um, uh, just being completely intoxicated that I couldn't even stand. And, and there was people that knew me and they're like, you know, Lexi is a good kid. She's a smart student, mm-hmm. you know. Like she is really, really messed up right now. We got to get her out of the school so she doesn't get expelled. Because I think you know they also knew that I have strict parents, and if I get expelled, things aren't going to go well for me. Yeah. Um, 
So they eventually took me out to a bench and, you know, people were holding me up. Um, and then, pe- you know, someone came and asked, you know, like, what's wrong with that girl? As I was like throwing up just all over the ground. And so both people got up and I couldn't hold myself up. So I just tipped forward and fell into this pool of vomit. And I was like, <laughs> having so much fun. Yeah. What's going on? And um, and I think, yeah, yeah, that was. That's rough. It, it was. Uh, that was one of the worst days of, of my using um, because they, they knew that my friends knew that I couldn't go home. So they decided it would be good to drop me off at somebody's house um, who, who I thought was my friend. I thought I was safe with, um, but I wasn't. And um, oh, shit. yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult. And it was difficult going back to school um, and, you know, talking to counselors, talking to the constable. And I, even when I went, like, back to school after treatment, I had to be in the same class with them. Hmm. And um, Why the fuck would they do that? Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was very confusing to me, you know, after I had just laid around in a pool of vomit, you know, clothes were covered in vomit and mm. someone still thought, you know, it's a good idea to take advantage of this girl. Um, Sorry, I'm just pointing at the, the oh, blinds up there because I can't see you now because the sun's in <laughs> that. Thanks, dude. He was totally watching me. How's that? That's just perfect. Hold this the entire time. <laughs> Don't hold it. He'll move it. <laughs> but thank you for doing that. Now I can see you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Darcy. Yeah, and um, sorry about that. Oh yeah, that's um, I think. And so you had been, you had been dropped back off at school, and he, you were in the same class with him after treatment. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was that was tough. A lot of like when I f- finished treatment and went back to school, I had a really tough time. You know, being around people who knew a different version of me mm-hmm. and people who you know had had done harm to me it was it was hard but i and i you know i didn't want to go to a different school you know um so it was difficult um but even after like that incident i was always very cautious about drinking mm-hmm. um you know, I'd only drink at my friend's house across the street because I knew I could go home. Um, <laughs> and I remember when I think my older brother picked me up from from that guy's house and I was just still plastered. And I got home, ran upstairs, said, Mom, I think I have the flu and barfed <laughs> like everywhere. And yeah. it, they immediately knew. Yeah. My dad said, you know, I was a teenager once myself, too. And I know, you know, having the flu Mm-hmm. Is a great excuse for being like I drank too much. I'm barfing right now. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, I think like after like after that, um, like it was I had a very like difficult time feeling safe and around people when I was sober. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't really drink that much, but I would just get as high as I could and just stick around my people that I knew were my friends. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 
there was yeah there is a couple of of incidents where like one time I was 16 and I went to Mexico with my family and mm-hmm. it was great because it was all inclusive um and um there would my mom would go off and get drunk and then I would go off and get drunk and I would like pass out in a hammock and like wake up with all these lines on myself and <laughs> the netting line yeah yeah yeah, yeah. picture it yeah <laughs> <laughs> my mom would be like oh like what what are you drinking i was like oh a virgin pina colada mm. um but i just like it for me that was like vacation was the best because my dad was worried about my mom and the rest of the family was worried about me, but it was like kind of like it was kind of nice because I wasn't the only one doing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but it was it was it was tough for me to go on like vacation in like exotic places because I wanted I wanted to have fun and be like everyone else and you know go to the pool and wear a bathing suit, but I had a lot of people come up to me and ask what what's wrong with your skin what's wrong with your body what's on your arms and legs mm-hmm. um and i you know would just tell people i fell out of a tree and then they <laughs> yell mm-hmm. across the courtyard karen she fell out of a tree really yeah oh yeah oh my God, <laughs> yeah right? i was like okay does that happen quite a bit it it does actually the other couple of couple of days ago i was on a dog walk with my friend and just wearing like a, a tank top and this guy came up to me and like caressed my arm and he said why what do happened people do that and, yeah a lot of people Sorry. like touch me yeah <laughs> oh i got my skin crawling when you say that yeah people do that to tattoos too they're like oh you fucking feel it like dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah god yeah He's like, what, what happened to your arm? And I just went, uh. And he said, oh, never mind. We don't have to talk about it. And just sprinted off. Well, of course he did. Yeah, because I think it douche. just <laughs> it clicked a couple seconds too late. Seriously. <laughs> Can I touch your – what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's either people have no boundaries or they have, like, too many boundaries but nothing in between. Though. Yeah. Nothing in between. And sometimes people, like, will wait. For an answer. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I used to self-harm. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm like, what? Why are you? Are you sorry because you asked or like? It probably depends. Yeah. Because some people, I I know like some people who know what that is, Mm -hmm. who recognize it, might be less inclined to ask. First of all, because they know there's a story you probably don't want to tell. Yeah. um, But yeah, like if you didn't know, like I, I I don't know how you would, how do you handle that? Um, sometimes like when I'm like at work, like at Dairy Queen, like I've had like a couple of like parents, like with like really little kids ask me and I just tell them, I was like, I, I used to self-harm and do a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. And usually I end up like, sometimes I scare people off yeah. and they're like, Oh, is that my burger? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the truth. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I have like really good conversations with people that mm-hmm. that I don't know and they're like wow like I I didn't know like any of these these things and and I feel you know like you know maybe they know something like a little bit more than they didn't and that's mm-hmm. good um and so I think like I sometimes like when people ask me 
it catches me off guard and mm-hmm. at the first like moment I can be like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, but usually when I when I start like talking to someone about it, they're like really grateful that I'm that I'm telling them, mm-hmm. you know, what happened to me and what I've been through. Yeah, I could see that. If people ask you nicely, right? Like mm-hmm. in a way that's kind of actually anticipating some conversation mm-hmm. instead of, oh, what happened? Oh, never mind. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's almost like sometimes the question comes out and then people are like, why did I ask that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's nice because I think there's probably people who do give a shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, and and if someone like doesn't know what it was, like mm-hmm. now they know and they can be yeah. like, you know, aware in a way. And, and you know what? It probably helps them with other people if they see scars similar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? And they can say, oh, you know what? Like if a kid asks them, mm-hmm. why would she do that? Yeah. They can say, oh, because some people... This is how they express pain, right? To yeah. try to get it in a different way. Yeah. You know? So you went to treatment. How young were you when you went to treatment? I entered treatment when I was 16. 16? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 20. 20 now? Yeah. Four years? I have three and a half years. Three and a half years? Yeah. yeah. It must be coming up though. Yeah. Good. It's uh, in October. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about that. Going to treatment at 16, and you didn't go to one of the nicest treatment centers on the planet. No. I mean, you went to a nice treatment center, but it's got some stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I, it was, I didn't know that I was going to treatment. Mm -hmm. It was, it's an involuntary treatment center. Yeah. So if you're under 18 and you're at risk to yourself and at a certain level where your addiction, you know, you can't, Mm -hmm. you need intervention. Um, your parents can can sign you over. Yeah. Um, so my mom uh, told me, you know, we're going for lunch. Mm-hmm. She was like texting me while I was in a math test. And I was like, um, just, you know, chill out. I'm doing a math test. Mm-hmm. And then I told my teacher, I was like, I'm going for lunch with my mom's here to pick me up. And he's like, uh-huh, right. Your mom is here. And I was like, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> she is. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> I won't see you for another 10 months. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I did, my uncle and aunt were there. They took me in a two door car, which I was like, okay, like Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, I went, I, uh, went for lunch and my mom's like, do you want dessert? I was like, oh, not really. She's like, I really think you should have dessert, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And just like kind of like being weird. And I just kept telling her like, mom, I've got art next. I really, really want to get back to school. Mm-hmm. But I also had, you know, some Palm Bays in my backpack. And I was going to go to my boyfriend at the time's house. I was going to go get more piercings, you know, be all edgy. But I just like, I just wanted to go back to school and go get drunk at the end of that day. And actually the day before I think was Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and I didn't spend it with my family. And I was like, drop me off at my boyfriend's house, drop me off at my boyfriend's house. And they were like, no. So I was like, okay. So I, you know, walked the train, took the train to Crowfoot, walked from Crowfoot to Bonas, and just got wasted. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to walk back home, but his mom was like, what are you doing? Like you are a small woman mm-hmm. and you're drunk and you want to walk home. I was like, uh-huh. So she got me a cab and then I continued to drink alone in my room mm. when I got home um, because that was normal for me, you know, just mm-hmm. drinking alone. I felt like I I really liked, like, in the beginning of my using, it was about, like, 
you know, doing something with friends, having mm-hmm. friends, like feeling a part of. But towards the end, I just, I really wanted to be alone and get high and get drunk mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like anybody was going to hurt me or, you know, attack me or take advantage of me. I didn't feel like anybody was going to judge me. Like, I felt the safest alone. Mm-hmm. Um which was really, really sad because in the beginning it was all about wanting friends. Um, And I just, you know, I, I wanted to be alone all the time, but I was terrified of being alone. Um, And I, I would just, I felt so, so lonely. Um, And yeah, I just, I just, like, I didn't want anyone to be around, but I didn't want to have to deal with my thoughts by myself. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very difficult, and I would just stay up all night, and, and I would get high and, and then do all my makeup for school the next day so I could go to sleep and be, and be ready. Um, and, you know, my parents would come in, and I have 20 candles lit. They're, what are you doing in here? Like, meditating. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well sort of yeah yeah. Yeah, sort of just a different way yeah yeah and i did you know i'd blame my eye like my really red eyes on my sleeping medication Mm. and i'd um you know brush my teeth because i knew like you know my mom would be like blow on me Mm. before i went to bed and i was like you are so crazy does it smell like mint (laughs) like you know (laughs) um and that was always the best feeling like getting away Mm. with something um, and I was always so self-righteous when they would like accuse me of doing something when I was, when I didn't, I was like, you guys hate me. You always think I'm up to no good. You know, like the one time that they thought they caught me and I actually had done nothing. Yeah. I was like, I was like, people hate me. Um, oops. That's um, <laughs> um, oh. so you got taken to lunch. Yes. You're going. You're on your way to treatment. And yeah. Your mom talked you into getting a dessert. Yes. Is there a purpose for the dessert? Like I have to know. Um, bug me if I don't ask. She just. She just really wanted me to have dessert. You know, to have something to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, before I was only allowed one cookie a day. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and I. I remember, like, I was. I was just like exhausted from staying up and drinking all all night the night mm-hmm. before. So I was like sleeping in the car. And I remember we pulled up to ARC, um, which is Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center, mm-hmm. the treatment center I went to. And I had friends that went there um, before. So I knew what it was. And I was like, nope. And I started screaming at my mom mm-hmm. because um, like a month or so before that, I was like, I'm done with therapy. Yeah. I don't like it. I didn't feel like I was getting out of anything out of it any bef- like towards the end but that's because mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't being honest um you know I'd, I'd show up hyped up on Adderall and I'd be like today I'm just having a good day and life is great and you know I'm so good and then I, I'd show up sober and be like I really hate myself yeah. <laughs> and so nothing was consistent mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't being honest, so I couldn't get any help. Um, but yeah, I, and I just started screaming at my mom. I was like, I told you no more therapy, no more treatment. I told you I was done. And she's like, I know that's why you're here because you won't do anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I went into the intake room, which I thought, okay, they're going to assess me. I'll go back to school and I'll probably come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they told me that that I was going to be staying. And I, I had a breakdown. Like I had a full-blown panic attack where I could not breathe um, because I, you know, I wanted to go home. And I did, like, I, I loved my family to mm-hmm. the best of my ability that I could at that point. I loved them. I loved, you know, I never stayed out. I never had sleepovers. I was always at home. And I I just couldn't wrap my head around the thought of, like, being institutionalized and not being able to talk to my family, not being able to see my friends. Because mm-hmm. I'd been on the psych board before, but, you know, I could see my family and... I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be that long, but this was going to be a very, very long time. And um, I didn't stop freaking out and crying for the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's quite a culture shock. Yeah, yeah, it was. And um, I was I was very, very high risk mm-hmm. uh, for suicide. Um, and I, I would just peel at my skin i would just peel it off my hands so i had to wear mittens like gloves um really yeah yeah and i um wasn't allowed to have pens um i wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom alone i was not allowed to shower at host homes which is like host homes is like where you go like during the night you go to a family's house that's in treatment you sleep there you shower there you have meals there um but i yeah i had to for three months i had to shower at the facility with two staff members in the room with me um good on them keeping an eye on you yeah 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 they did they did a really really good job of of keeping me safe um because you know i was i was not left alone for like i still i still self-harmed like i would pull staples out of things i would break things um and just like pick at my skin but you know like there's there's so many it's you know you can't stop someone from from doing that if you know because i have my mind set to it where i was like i need i need to do this like i don't know any other way mm-hmm. um but they did a really good job of, you know, making sure I didn't get any infections and and making it a really safe place for me to talk about it. Like when I, um, I would try and keep it a secret, but there was some staff members that, you know, were like, you know, something's not up. Like, what is going on? And they would take the time out of, you know, the group therapy sessions or like we call it like wraps. Mm-hmm. Um to be like, you know, we need to talk to Lexi. And, and I, I eventually I'd break down and be like, you know, I, I'm doing this, um, which was really good. But then I, I had to do like strip searches like every day and mm-hmm. body checks. Um, but even then I would, um, at, at first, like I got to do like strip searches or like body checks, like into my underwear. But then I was like, well, I'll just self harm where they're not going to see it. So eventually I, would have to you know get naked every day and be like look okay i'm done <laughs> um but it was like they they did a really really good job of you know keeping me safe and and making sure that you know i was going to be all right and i 
I felt really bad for the kids that were taking me home within the first couple of months yeah. because I would just ball myself to sleep every single night. Mm. Um, and I would cry at the center until I passed out like, like a child having a temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when they're just like breathing so heavy and crying and then they're just silent. Like that was me. Mm -hmm. And all the staff members were like, oh, finally, <laughs> she's unconscious. Yeah. Um, well, that would have been worrisome and like. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it was. It was really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that I was an addict, you mm -hmm. know, because for me, my problem in my head was mental health. Mm -hmm. At that point, I had been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, um, eating disorder not otherwise specified, and general anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I was like, you guys don't understand. These are my problems. This I'm using this to help mm -hmm. self-medicating in the good way. Mm -hmm. Um. But, you know, after a couple of months of being stubborn and crying and, like, you know, listening to other people where, you know, I'd listen to their incidents where they would just, like, talk about that desperation mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, maybe someone was talking about, like, hard drugs like meth or cocaine or heroin. But I was like, I was the same. I felt that same amount of desperation and anxiety when I was like searching for my, you know, my pot or mm -hmm. Adderall or a drink, you know, because yeah. I made myself different because I was like, I've never done hard drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I live at home. I have a job. I go to school. I have $2,000 in the bank account. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm okay. Um, but like, you know, the, those were just all things that that I made myself believe I was okay because I had. Mm -hmm. um, and it, like, it, it really, it didn't matter what I had on the outside. It was, you know, like, on the inside, it was that I was trying to kill myself every other weekend and, and that I was, you know, self-harming to the point where, you know, I was, move my arm the wrong way and my, my scabs would crack open and I'd start bleeding in class. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, yeah, it was, it was like the best thing that like ever happened to me. I think like if I didn't go through treatment and I didn't have that like extreme intervention, I don't think I'd be around mm -hmm. because I'd, I'd been through, you know, Alberta health services for suicide attempts and they, they did a great job, like treating the acute symptoms and the crises, you know, like calming down the crises and, when I wasn't at home, my parents would remove all the sharps from my room, but then I'd go home. I'd, you know, gather up my collection of sharps and I'd go to school and I'd use and, you know, it was like the same thing over again. And, um, and of course I was, I was never honest when I was in Alberta health services with my addiction. Yeah. Um, because like that was one thing I was not willing to give up. Yeah. But when I was in ARC, you know, they knew, <laughs> they already knew. Yeah. Um, you can tell them whatever you want, but you're there anyway. Yeah. 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 I was like, I've gotten <laughs> drunk two times in my life, you know? Yeah. And they're like, okay, um, <laughs> still going to be here for a while. Yeah. Um, and eventually, like eventually when I was on at a certain point in my treatment, that was where my family and me would take kids home to my house. Like mm -hmm. the kids that were, 
neuron and treatment. And uh, I think that was like one of my favorite parts was that like I had this like sense of responsibility again. And I, I still struggled, you know, with my own things. I still struggled with like harming myself mm -hmm. and, you know, not feeling good enough and things like that. But I, I had this responsibility to look after these other girls that were in my house and, um, and, and a lot of them like admired me for what I'd been through mm -hmm. and really connected with me, like that I was, you know, if they were a self-harmer too. And, and they, they felt safe talking to me about mm -hmm. that. And sometimes like, I'll go back like as a graduate and take kids home. And, um, it's hard cause some of these girls don't, don't have other girls in their group that are mm -hmm. self-harmers. And so when I go and they, and they can talk to me and, and I, I just like, it's, it's nice because, you know, in ARC, everybody, like you, the staff members are people that have gone through ARC. They're addicts. Like they know, like you can't bullshit them. Like I would bullshit a doctor and you can't be like, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know how I feel. You don't know what I'm going through. Cause they'd be like, um, <laughs> Yes, I do. Like, yeah. I've done that, done this, you know, try and tell me something that's going to baffle me, um, which is, like, good to have someone that knows. Um, but it's it's tough when you, when you have these other problems as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, like, you know, like the we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door mm -hmm. on it. Like, all the things that I've been through now, like, I'm grateful because, like, yeah, I went through, like, so many years of, of destructing myself, like, mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. But now, like, I'm able to connect with somebody else. I'm able to help somebody else or just listen to somebody else. And, and they know that I'm not going to judge them. Or So it's, yeah. Yeah, how cool is that? It's, it's really awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome to be able to give back, right? Yeah. 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 I, I like one of the reasons I admire you is because like so young. I admire anyone who's in their teenage years who can somehow sober up. Yeah. Because I'd have been like out. Yeah. I'd have been so out. Even if you try to lock me up, I'd have been like out. Yeah. Like whatever, one way or the other. That's 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 intense and incredible that you're still staying the course, right? Yeah. Because it's not like life has been perfect since you've been sober. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know better than anyone else how hard it's been yeah so yeah yeah i definitely thought that like when i graduated treatment i was like my life is gonna be awesome and you know all the hard stuff mm -hmm. is done but the hardest times in my life has been through sobriety um mm -hmm. because when i i graduated i i got into a relationship with someone who you know, I met in treatment. That's where I find them. <laughs> um, well, you're not alone. There's yeah. A long <laughs> yeah. Of oh, yeah. Meeting each other in treatment. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was it was really awesome because you know he he was like me and and I I don't know when I when I went through treatment with him I was like this guy is such an asshole <laughs> like would kind of be mean to me call me like he said something mean to me because i put like something metal in the microwave but you know mm -hmm. my brain's not all there so that's fine but um yeah he uh he moved out uh from bc to calgary to to be with me and and 
and my relationship with him started off like great and I was like oh, like my life is awesome I'm sober I have a sober boyfriend um but he um wasn't able to stay sober for too long and I remember his first relapse when we were together um it was over new year's and I was so worried because we would talk every day and he just kind of went silent for two days and then he said like I need you to come to this house like in the south um and I went there um and his shirt was on backwards and inside out and I immediately knew and my heart was broken and um and he's like I'm in a lot of trouble um you know, I owe a lot of money to a drug dealer. And I was like, you know what? Here, just take take the money. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and um, and then after, you know, after that, it was okay. I was like, you know, it's just a slip. It's just a slip. Mm-hmm. Then it, you know, it happened again. Um, and every time it happened, it would get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'd be more unpredictable, um, more aggressive and you know, more just not, not there. And, um, and eventually like, you know, I would just bring him to my house and be like, just stay the night, you know, cause I would be really worried about him. Um, but I knew like, I knew I couldn't like stop him from going out and drinking, but at least I could like, at least if he came to my house, I would know that he was safe. Um, and he'd be okay. And, um, uh, I, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, towards, towards the end of our relationship, he, um, he got in a car accident and then started using hydromorphine, um, for the pain is what he would tell me. And, um, and he, um, he was using it intravenously. Um, but at that, at that point we were so codependent that I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm in for the ride, I guess. And, um, um, like for me, it was like hydromorphine wasn't that bad because he wasn't drinking and he was just Mm -hmm. like using it for the pain. Um, and he was at home and, you know. Um, but it, it became a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And when he ran out of money, it was my money because he was going to get sick and we couldn't have that. And I would go and, and buy him clean needles because I didn't want something bad to happen. And, um, and towards the end, you know, he'd be so sick that I was you know, cooking up hydromorphine for him, that I would suck the coating off the pill for him. And, um, like, I just, I never thought that that it would come to that. And, um, thank you. I, um, like, it, it just, like, it happened like so fast where eventually hydromorphine was heroin and um and he, he overdosed and was kicked out of, of where he was living and I had to 
like scramble and, and find somewhere for him to crash for a couple of weeks. Um, so I found like one of my friends and I was like, oh yeah, my boyfriend just doesn't have a place to live right now. Like he's doing great, doing fine. Just let him crash, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but he um, was going through withdrawal. So he'd just drink every single day at my friend's house. And eventually um, I was like, I got to We have to get you to a, to a hospital. And um, it was really tough because he didn't want to go. Um, and I was scared because, um, like, the withdrawals and, and the using just was making him a different person. And he told me, you know, like, if you leave me, like, you are putting the nail in the casket. And so I, I knew I couldn't go anywhere. Um, but I was really, really scared. I'm tired of, like, lying to everybody, like, lying to his parents and lying to my parents. So eventually I just – I called his mom and I, I said, like, Avery's going through heroin withdrawals. Like, he's he's been using. Um, And I, like – it felt really good because I felt like I wasn't, like, lying or hiding anymore. And – um. And, like, I'm really glad that I was honest when I was because, um, like, after that, a couple of days after that, um, he, um, he, he died. Um, and I remember, like, talking to him the night before on the phone because he was supposed to go to treatment in BC the next day. Um, and I was like, I will never like, ever leave, like, as long as you're trying to get better, I will always be here for you, and I told him that I loved him so much, um, and I just, I, I didn't think that that was gonna be the last time I would talk to him, and I, um, like, I woke up the next morning, and I felt okay, and I went to school, and I, I called him, because I was like, you know, is, are they there, yeah, to pick you up, and, and somebody picked up his phone. And I was like, like, who is this? Where Where's Avery? And they're like, Avery stopped breathing this morning. And we sent him in, a, in an ambulance, and I just started freaking out in my class. And I was like, someone drive me to the hospital. I need to go to the hospital. Um, And I got there, and I, I was like, my is my boyfriend here? He's brought here this morning. This is what he looks like, like this is who he is, and, and they, they put me in the family room, and I was like, no, like, this isn't real, because, like, I knew when they put me in the family room that something really bad was going to happen, but I thought, you know, maybe, maybe they're bringing him back, maybe they're doing CPR on him, maybe he's, like, in a coma, you know, like, those were the worst things that could have happened, um, and they, the doctor came in, and she said, I'm sorry, um, but we tried, we tried to resuscitate him, but he's gone. And, um, and they, they brought me, um, in the room that he was in to identify him because he had no ID. He was a John Doe. And I just, um, like, I just, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And, like, it felt like it wasn't real. And I just kept, like being like come on like just wake up um it it was the worst 
thing I've ever gone through in my life was losing somebody that I loved. Um, yeah. You can totally do like a full nose blow too if you have to. I know, I know. Yeah, we can edit the <laughs> nose blow out if we have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it was like. That's fucking hard. Yeah. yeah. And it was really hard. Um, and I just like, I just knew that like he was gone. Like he's. They still had all the tubes, like, down his throat, and he was, like, covered in, like, the dark, like, blood vomit, and mm-hmm. and his eyes were open, and they were just dull, mm-hmm. and I, um, I just, yeah, I just wanted him to wake up, because, you know, he was always like, I'm, <laughs> I'm Superman, I'm never mm-hmm. gonna die, um, and I just, I never thought that that would happen to him. Like, I have, I've lost friends, but it just, it would never happen to him, right? You know, it, does, it doesn't happen to you until it's you. That's right. And, um, yeah, and I, I called his mom, and, and that, that was so tough. <laughs> just, like, you know, your son is, he's dead. And I just... I, I remember just telling him, just rubbing his chest. That's what I would do when he'd get upset. I would just rub his chest. So I just kept rubbing his chest. And I, said, I told you that I would be here. I told you I would always be here for you, like no matter what. And then um, I was. And I, yeah, I just. That's intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you were there, you know. Yeah. That must have been hard as fuck. Yeah. I remember when you came somewhere we go to occasionally. Yeah. And, we, and you were talking about it. it uh, nothing takes the air out of a room, right? Like, yeah. Especially those of us who know. Like yeah. We, we, most of the people in that room, or any room for that matter, they know. Right? Yeah. Like, we, we lose, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, how the fuck do you move on from there? Yeah, it <laughs> right? was... Like, what do you do? I mean, fuck. You're going to have to tell me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, like, in bed, and I couldn't, I couldn't eat, and mm-hmm. I lost so much weight. I was like a skeleton, just because I, everything I did reminded me of him and everything we would do together. We were together for a year and a half, and... And I just felt like a part of me was missing, and I didn't think I would ever be okay again. Um, and I remember um, I spoke at his funeral, and then after, on the way home, I was so anxious, I just threw up all over myself. <laughs> um, Fuck, I can relate to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his, his funeral was on Friday the 13th, which his dad thought was funny, because he would have thought it was funny. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I didn't hang out with any of my friends for like three months Mm -hmm. and I didn't really talk to anybody. I would, um, I would go have coffee with his grandma because I, I spent a lot of time at her house with him and, um, and he would always say, you know, like, you're Lexi's surrogate grandma now. (laughs) 
and she mm-hmm. like still she's like one of my favorite people in my life and I still go and see her and and um I just love her so much um but eventually I I was able to like start seeing my friends again and I was still really really sad and like depressed but like they got me they got me out and doing things and like trying to have fun and it just like like they didn't all like know him too well like my friends from school but but they loved me and they showed up for me and that's like I just needed people to care about me um and they did and and I don't know, like, I still, I still, um, get, like, flashbacks, um, and nightmares, um, but not as much. I used to have them, like, every day, all day, every time I went to sleep, I was scared to go to sleep because I knew I was going to dream about them. Um, but I, yeah, I remember going to the meeting after and, and I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, I'm either... I'm either going to, like, just stay sober and live and somehow be okay, or I'm going to relapse and I'm going to die because I want to be with him. And I was like, I can't do that, you know. I can't do that to the people that, that love me, to the people that loved him mm-hmm. and the people that loved us both. Um, and so I was like, you know, it, it really was, like, one day at a time where I just – I was like, I don't feel okay today. I'm not going to do anything today. But that was like, that was okay. That's what I needed. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, it was, it was really tough when uh, on April 4th, when it was his anniversary, it was a year. And I just. I knew it was close to now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, I just bawled. I just cried. <laughs> no doubt. Um, cried until I passed out, and I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> um, but it, like, I don't know. Like, no matter how, like, things got, I was able to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, How do you think you were able to do that? I just, I went to a lot of meetings. Yeah. Um, cause I didn't really know what to do with myself yeah, and I, of course not. I had to like be surrounded by people and I just had to share, you yeah. know, and you know, I, nobody was like, oh, we've already heard you talk about this. <laughs> like nobody, even though I was like, I'm talking about the same thing for the third time, you know, this day. If anybody ever says that, you take that big book that they have and the smack them and across smack the head. Them the- <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time with my mom and and my family and I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how I was able to be okay. Mm -hmm. It just, it just happened where I just wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. I was sort of okay. And now I'm all right. Um, and it, Yeah. I think you know exactly how it happened. You said it. Yeah. Like one one day at a time. Yeah. Right? Like, what else could you do? Yeah. Like, how fucking hard would that be? I mean, I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, when I was 24, I I was 23 or 24, I lost, I was still practicing, of course, lost a mentor of mine and literally fucking deep-ended. 
yeah. like deep ended the whole thing. And a partner at that time, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, and in sobriety. Yeah. On top of it. And then you stayed. Yeah. On top of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the shit that inspires like humans, man. Like yeah. the to be able to come through that, you know, and there's no like magic pill except for that one day at a time. Yeah. You know? It's amazing how that is so functional, eh? Yeah. Yeah. A little block of time. It was funny because we were talking about like people that are say like, you know, my worst day in sobriety is still better than the best day in my easy. And it's like, that is not true for me. Not even close. Not yeah. for me either. Oh, no. And yeah. I, <laughs> I have like when people say that, I'm like, wow, you must have had a really awful using. Yeah, you obviously. I've had some pretty great days in my using, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. If you had no fun anymore, then you were fucking doing something wrong. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but I, you know, and I think it's important to know that like, and like tell people like, you know, even in sobriety, like bad things are gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the worst thing in my entire life happened in sobriety, but Mm -hmm. through being in sobriety, I was able to like stay alive. Like if that happened when I, if I was using when that happened or if I like was not spiritually as you know, fit as I was, like, mm-hmm. I'd be dead because I, like, even without drugs or alcohol in my system, I was still entertaining that thought because it was mm-hmm. so hard to deal with. But I just, you know, I just kept thinking, well, I just won't do it today, mm-hmm. you know. That's interesting you say that. That's exactly what I say. Yeah. I have severe depressive disorder as well and had it for a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing, hey? Like, just that, just not today. Yeah. Not today. Like, it's bad. It's shitty. Even with sobriety, right? Even with years of, of sobriety, it's like, still wake up and it's like right there on the forefront. Yeah. Because I think once we try, once we go through with it and we attempt it, it's a solution. Yeah. At that point, right? Like, much like drinking or using. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, you didn't start on H, right? You started off with a, you know, prescribed medicine and then heroin was the answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, man, it's th- shit works until it doesn't work is my point, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it was always like, you know, like killing myself would be like a very permanent solution to temporary problems. Mm. Um, but it's still a solution. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, much like drinking, right? Like much like using and, and it's kind of like, um, even though at the end there was still obviously fun moments, there were moments at that point. They oh, weren't yeah. days. They weren't. Yeah. Because the grind just wears you out, right? Yeah. But you still. Um, it's kind of yeah, like, oh, I smiled out. when I was wasted last night. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah, exactly. Remember <laughs> yeah. the one morning you smiled or you were laughing at a friend's joke or something. And then reality getting about 95% <laughs> where you were like pantless. Kissing yeah. <laughs> someone's planter, like peeing on the stairs. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, doing shit like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I. What time are we at? Are we at an hour? Fuck. Okay. Oops. Well, obviously, you talked about lots of stuff. Yeah. I'm not gonna like prod you anymore because that was heavy shit. Yeah. Um, but obviously, anyone out there listening, when they do listen, will obviously recognize like why I admire you. <laughs> right thank you well yeah you're a badass this is what humans this is what we have to do right when we 
in order for us to stay clean and sober, we have to be willing um, to do it under all circumstances. Yeah. And we don't know what those are until they happen. Yeah. Right? And, and so I think if you could say anything to your 12-year-old self, what would you say? Instead of like, you know, something like, don't be an idiot. Because yeah. that's what I would have said to oh, my yeah. 12-year-old self. No, I think like, I think, you know, all the things I went through, like they're inevitable. I think if I was going to say anything to my 12-year-old self, it's like, no matter how bad it gets, like you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, even through everything bad, like, you know, people will still love you. Um, you're not a bad person and things will turn out okay even when it seems like you know the world is gonna end absolutely yeah thank you so much thank you for having me thank you for tuning in this week to the voices in recovery podcast please stay tuned every wednesday as we air another episode thank you for your time and please if you're in trouble reach out if you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.